Awuga, this is a 12th cast. Welcome to our exclusive members only club for discussing Red Dwarf 11, Episode 4, Officer Rimmer. No grunts. This is Ganymede and Titan's live Dwarfcast, and over the next hour and a bit, we'll be covering upwards of seven talking points, revealing some true facts about the making of this episode, trying to piece together which bits were filmed when, and recapping today's crisis crisis. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me tonight are malfunctioning bioprints of Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And our regular guest, Joe Sharples of the official Red Dwarf Fan Club. Hello. If you're listening live, then please do join in the chit-chat. Uh, the easiest way to get your messages to us is by commenting on the Spreaker page, but you can also leave a comment on the Let's Talk About Officer Rumour thread on www.ganymede.tv or tweet us at Ganymede Titan. But first, let's set out our respective stalls with our brief thoughts on the episode as a whole, starting with Danny. Oh, me first. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, really enjoyed it on second watch. I really was. It was quite jarring the first time around. But um, second time, yeah, really enjoyed it, actually. Capsi. Oh. Uh, I've not had as much fun in um, a long time, I think. like For me, the first watch kind of grabbed me immediately. Um, it was a huge amount of fun. And Despite flaws. I, um, I like it a lot, but that ending really jars with me quite a lot still. And I think it's a bit rubbish. So, <laughs> all the opinions. Well, two. Some opinions. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess uh, we start at the beginning. Uh, our talking points, our first talking point is sexy beginnings, uh, which refers to the fact that... Uh, there was some sexy talk in the opening scenes. <laughs> Capsa, you set the talking point. What was what was your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I picked it as a talking point. I picked it as a talking point basically because it was a bit of a, uh, a, 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 a well, it stuck out like a sore thumb a little bit, that more bit in rude. tone and also in the episode itself because it was the first example really of a kind of a disconnected opening scene. I thought it was fine when it comes like you know the dialogue and everything was fine. It just it was just a bit weird. It was. And, uh, it, yeah, like you say, it was the first time in this series where it was an opening scene that didn't have a connection to the main plot, uh, which is, you know, so far, prior to today, it was three for three to varying degrees. Uh, if not actually linked plot-wise, then definitely uh, thematically linked, whereas this one wasn't. But then we later pieced together uh, during the week that uh, bits of... It were not filmed at the same time as the rest. No, um, it was a scene from twelve. Yeah, from uh, this was I've, Stephen Abootman uh, pointed uh, this out. Oh no, it didn't. 
that that's a bit for later on. That's the wrong bit of notes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, um... <laughs> it was Pete Part Three. Uh, said uh, it was the first person to point out online that it was a surprise to see it there as it wasn't recorded on the night. Uh, and then we figured out that it was recorded for episode three of season 12 originally. Um, well, the third episode to be recorded. Yeah. Uh, whether it ends up being the third episode on on broadcast is another matter. But yeah, it was a, it was not quite the opening scene to that episode, chopped out to replace some bits from this episode, which are going to be presumably in the deleted scene. So can we talk about it? Is it going to be spoilers for the DVD? <laughs> or are they going to be in another episode? Well, that's the thing. Uh, that was the thing that Stephen, Stephen Abootman pointed out, that in the set report for Series 12, Episode 4, uh, that Pete Martin again said that, uh, because he did the set, put, contribute to the set report for that episode, that that episode grabbed a small chunk of Officer Rimmer's script and recycled it. Uh, Pete saying at the time it's a nice piece of interplay between three of the characters which harkens back to the early years and uh, yeah I don't I think Doug's doing this so we've got articles to write and uh, you know <laughs> bridging bridging the gap between 12 and whatever happens after that <laughs> yeah so it's so yeah if you look at the opening scenes to this episode you can see where the joins are because Starbug is different Um it was. It's clear that a bit of it was picked up during the recording for series twelve. It's not just a case of mm. um, chopping it directly from one episode into another. It's uh, it's been re-recorded. Yeah, because there is one linking line of Crichton's, which is yeah. specific to the episode. Yeah. Which he even does a look to say, "Oh well, yeah, Rimmer certainly just said that last line right now, <laughs> yes. and, and now into the plot." Like it was clearly kind of you could see the stitch point there. And if you uh, if you look uh, behind Rimmer and Crichton in particular, the panels behind them change completely um, halfway through that scene. Yeah, they do. Uh, I think in the episode, it's kind of uh, you don't notice it so much because it's uh, it's got a scene from. Officer Herring, uh, Captain Herring, being printed in the middle, but either side of that cutaway. It's uh, two different scenes that were filmed months apart. And um, there's also uh, something, well, several things <laughs> got cut out uh, of, of this episode, uh, which we may see on the DVD, like I said, they may be reused elsewhere. But uh, I wanted to point out that there was uh, a joke about uh, the Ramscoop MOT uh, that we saw on the night that got cut out, but there is still a back reference to that joke within the finished yeah. episode. Rimmer uh, mentions it, doesn't he? Yeah, Rimmer crosses it off its t- his to-do list, uh, Ramscoop MOT. Uh, yeah, it works nice as a bit of flavour, like it, it, like taken away from the context of whatever joke it was, which I'm not aware of. Yeah, I it's, think it's kind of it's nice. Like, oh, he mentioned the Ramscoop. You know, he's doing things. That's nice. Yeah, I think it's not jarring if you don't know that that. No, know, I, it wouldn't I stand out. I it was missing. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing of an alternative version of the uh, the scene where they're watching telly, uh, because yeah. there's there's an image out there. Um, Paul McCarthy tweeted us a few days ago to say that the British Comedy Guide, not that one. No, but McCarthy, 
Not McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney, of course, died in 1966, so he's not been in touch. Uh, the British Comedy Guide, uh, run by Orange Mark, was using a still in their newsletter that wasn't from the episode, and it was Lister and Cat eating popcorn from a microwave. And today, uh, Red Dwarf HQ tweeted that image uh, just before the episode started. Uh, so yeah, that the scene where they're sat around eating hot dogs, they were originally sat around eating popcorn out of a microwave, microwave. on the night. Out of a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Um, a microwave on its side with yeah. the door open, as if it were a lid. If that doesn't get reused somewhere else, that's a crying shame. Well, it, it won't get reused because no. it's a very specific scene, but it's yeah. such a good joke. Yeah. I mean, on the night, because um, we were at the recording for Officer yeah. Rimmer, me and Joe, on the night the, in Boldsworth, a.k.a. Ray Peacock at the time, um, nabbed a load of that popcorn and started chucking yeah. it at the audience and like t- telling people to sell it on eBay and stuff. I think someone actually did try and sell one yeah. piece of paper. <laughs> then, yeah, and then it went. It was deleted. Maybe they, they deleted it because someone tried to sell it on eBay yeah. and they thought, ha! But yeah, it's hard, it's hard to see why. Like, maybe there was a problem with the scene that they didn't pick up on the night but it's a weird it's just a short little scene that they changed oh well um so yeah i wonder whether this episode with all these little bits and bobs was was this episode the dear dave of series 12 uh, series 11 rather because if so it's it's wound up a hell of a lot better than dear dave even though i'm not particularly keen on the episode it is a hell of a lot better than dear dave was this the traditional <laughs> one that everything went wrong and they had to piece it together afterwards. Yeah, possibly in that respect. If it is Dear Dave in that respect, then I think Samsara is Dear Dave in another respect. In the possibly. Good. <laughs> <laughs> in the not not great respect, or maybe just in the, the no money was spent on it. I mean, the the uneducated sort of feeling I get about this episode is that it was it was running short of stuff. Hmm. Because it kind of ran a little bit short of overall anyway, I think, based on the BBFC numbers. Yeah, not by and much. It just needs to... Yeah. No, but if you're going mean, to end quite a... That's so abruptly, and yeah. you've actually got a little bit of time to spare. Yeah. Well, we'll get on to the ending in more detail. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, it tonight it seemed short because... It it started a minute early, uh, which is, you know, it's not a major thing. But if you're sat here with uh, a big clock so you can time your radio show, <laughs> then you notice these things. It, it went isn't, isn't that a bit of a cardinal sin? Um, usually, yeah. Usually people say that in, well, if John or Tanya were here, they might be able to uh, clarify. Uh, get well soon again, John, for fuck's sake. God's Will you just stay well, please? Um, they would be able to clarify more but um, I think my understanding is it'd be better to be a minute late than a minute early because then people won't miss it but I I think a minute is in within uh, you know reasonable cutoff point but um, if it came off air at 33 minutes past which uh, which threw me off a bit (laughs) I'm still quite confused by all that um, but yeah, I don't think it, the episode was that short. It wasn't noticeably short. I think it started a minute earlier. Maybe the ad break was a bit shorter. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and I think it maybe been. it was all to get to Zapped quicker to make sure Zapped was on air 
sharpish so that it picked up a bit of the Red Dwarf audience. I don't know. Is that being Dave's new show that is currently on now? I can see Paul Kay in a pub. That should be good. <laughs> that guy from Brookside. He's a guy from Brookside. And James Buckley, who's in Red Dwarf 12. Anyway, anyway. you're listening to Zaptcast. <laughs> you, you No one will ever make a Zaptcast. Yeah. I think there's definitely a story. There's a few stories behind the making of this one. Yes. I'd be interested to see, see what that is. And I, I, we, I know we're going to get on to the ending more detail later, but um, there's been speculation that there was, there was something there that... What it wasn't used in the end, and if they if they did maybe end up with just not enough, like that that they could use, or that they they were happy to use, that maybe this kind of um, maybe the reason we don't have the popcorn stuff is because they needed to do a new version of that scene that was longer, um, just to fill in a bit more time. I mean, this, again, this is yeah, this speculation, is but maybe it feel it feels a bit like like that scene and the opening scene feel like. They're, they're, they're against the grain of the rest of the series, or the rest of the series has had scenes that are all pulling in the plot's direction, whereas those two, possibly not so much. Mm. Um, which makes you think maybe there's just something, something behind that. Yeah, or not it could, or it could be different. that, yeah, just based on past experience, we're reading too much into it. But <laughs> yeah. either way, the DVD should hopefully clarify. The bunker room was very dark in that scene. Yeah. Was it? The popcorn, <laughs> not popcorn. Well, we know already because we've seen it in Twentica that the the <laughs> the series twelve bunk room is slightly different. Maybe if that scene was picked up later, they made it darker so it wasn't too noticeable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tried looking out, and I don't think you can see the bunks very well. Like the the back of the bunk is where you can see yeah. the the difference, the big numbers you behind. Can see the lit and the back for eleven, or it's got the massive numbers for twelve. Yeah, and yeah, and you can't see the massive numbers. Right. So that doesn't mean they're not there. I think it's just the angle because yeah. it's it's all towards the front yeah. of the set. Uh, I like that the cat and Liston have mood lighting when they're watching the sports together, <laughs> <laughs> sharing hot dogs. Well, they do that for watching the Flintstones, don't they? So it's, it's it's it bears out that they do that. That's true. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh. Talking point number two, shall we? Why not? Uh, big print jobs. <laughs> big jobs. Big uh, jobs. Yeah, the bioprinting. Loved it. <clears throat> I've just noticed, by the way, um, sorry, that uh, the costume designer on Zapped was Howard Burden. Aww. So there's another Red Dwarf connection with this programme. There's <laughs> one in the background. I'm going to turn the telly off because I'm getting distracted by it. It's finished now. Yeah, normally we have a repeat of Red Dwarf going at this point. Don't yeah. We? Uh, backwards is on next, but anyway, don't uh, don't bother with Dave. Listen to us; we're better. <laughs> uh, you were saying about print jobs. I think um, I th- I thought it was excellent. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a really strange idea brilliantly executed. I think I think it's a, it's a very odd thing. When when I first heard about the idea of like sort of bio printing, I was like, is it like a three D printer? Because I was like, that's going to age quite quickly. If they're going to start doing that kind of stuff. And then they realise the way they've done it is, in, and then the way they've, they've done the paper jam on his face is just that 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 kind of stuff is just is really well rendered. Yeah, and it 
there was several good jokes. There was they got a lot of mileage out of that. <laughs> it's as plain as the nose on your head. Yeah. Uh, when... I love that the scene when he when he walks in when he's uh, when he gets rescued and he, he walks in. The first thing he says is, "Your ceiling is amazing." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's complimenting the fact he can only look up. My favourite. It's as plain as the it's as plain as the egg on Anne's face. <laughs> I've just realised what that line reminded me of. <laughs> is that one from Arrested Development? My favourite uh, Captain Herring line was uh, it was kind of thrown away and lost under some other jokes. But uh, what's your position? It's hard for me to see. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the visual of his head being looking at you and then he turns his head up there's, 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 it reminds me of a couple of things it reminds me of Monty Python it reminds me of Better Than Life no, sorry, Meaning of Life in uh, Monty Python with the, 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 the tiger, tiger head whenever Eric <laughs> Idle dug his head down yeah. and also the wheelers in um, Richard, Return to Oz which scared the living shit out of me as a child <laughs> so yeah on that subject uh, of things it reminds people of, Glenn Tokyo said on G&T, it reminds him of both Bang Bang, It's Reeves and Mortimer and uh, Jeremy Beadle slash Tim Curry slash Vagina Face Morph. <laughs> I mean, I assume that obviously the head is modelled on the actor's face, right? That's the idea. Yeah, kind well, it of. It could be anyone. <laughs> yeah, it kind of... But- it kind of looks like the top of his head kind of looks like the actor's real head, but kind of doesn't. I think uh, Captain Herring has darker hair and possibly a bit more of it than Stephen Critchlow. Yeah. Yeah. I also think he looks like Jochenthwaite from uh, Roger and the Ron Trolls, which I think got mentioned in the comments as well. I don't know the what way that the eyes, is. The way the eyes are just kind of constantly kind of staring out. The Reeves and Mortimer comparison is absolutely spot on. That sort of kind of <laughs> grotesque. Not entirely convincing, but still incredibly effective. Kind of like uh, prosthetic work is exactly Reeves and Mortimer. That's that's really good, Cole. Yeah. Didn't someone on GMT say they were going to um, try and do a mock-up of what his face would actually look like if it hadn't been blurred? No, I think someone I think was just saying. It. Yeah, I think someone said if anyone with Photoshop put his face back together. <laughs> And then you could compare the two, so... Well, we had the advert halfway through, so... Yes. <laughs> we're in. I do like the fact that moustache just completely, like, is still trying to be printed while the head's being jammed. I just, I just, it's such a strange look. It's a great weird idea, and I think his performance was was really effective. In that he, he's a pretty standard straight-laced captain type, but with this absurd situation and, and dealing with it in a very kind of stiff upper lip and captain captainy sort of a way, I thought it was really perfectly played by him. Yeah, it really good. very matter-of-fact. Yeah. He's like, it's not a problem, it's just yeah. that I have this incredibly yeah. weird head. <laughs> <laughs> the line, it's like your favourite line, it's kind of the epitome of that, isn't it? It's like, I'm having trouble with my sight, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like this, yeah. Let's not dwell on it. You know, obviously, I've got a vagina face, but let's. <laughs> a vagina face, we need but. To save this <laughs> let's just keep this professional, you know. <laughs> but there's a really good shot when he's like, keep it when he says he gets to listen, he goes, I'm keeping an eye on you, and that kind of slow <laughs> sort of head ball towards him. It's really creepy. It is quite creepy, yeah. <laughs> it's really unnerving. I go going down the line at, uh, in the trenches. <laughs> Baldrick, sir. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, Captain Herring. 
comes on board. Well, doesn't come on board initially. Uh, they're talking to him over video link. Uh, Rimmer tries to kill him, uh, and then <laughs> gets promoted. <laughs> yeah, Rimmer just immediately going for that thing to just immediately get rid of the problem was very strange. I did, yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. It didn't strike. It didn't strike me as particularly odd. It, it struck me as actually quite. You know, maybe this says more about me, but it struck me as thinking, well, yeah, save one person. You know, you get this guy's gonna. Person, this yeah. guy A is not real because he's just been printed out. B is yeah. gonna die anyway, and also if you don't shoot the thing at him, then you're gonna die. You know, the needs of the many I, I think people sometimes have an issue with Vimmer, Vimmer's actions bearing out his uh, bearing out what he says. So like people wouldn't bat an eyelid at Vimmer saying to do this and believing absolutely that Vimmer would maybe sacrifice a three D printed person to save his own skin. But if he actually did it, yeah, people lose their minds. <laughs> and um, and I think it is it is it's because he isn't usually really a man of action and actually would take a bit of courage to to take that step, especially since he is a captain and he clearly respects his authority in some way. Well So it's a weird balance between being something I would expect him to do and also me being surprised that he did it. Yeah. It was yeah, I've heard people comparing it to um when he pushed Katarina in front of a car. But I think that's different because that was just cold-blooded murder <laughs> like, admittedly um, <laughs> the, you have the dialogue that says it's actually fine but it's not it's, it's killed a hologram and there was no that there was no gain for him to do it that was the that was why i didn't have an issue with this is because it was clear that he wasn't doing it to be evil or to be a shit he was doing it because he wanted to save himself it was an act of cowardice really which is rimmer yeah okay i can see that <laughs> good <laughs> Everyone must conform to my view. What do we think about what do we think about Captain Herring having the jurisdiction to um, promote Rimmer? Yeah, I don't remember if because I remember not having a problem with it on the night, but I can't remember why because uh, I remember it occurring I mean, I thought, the 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 problem occurring kind of go under the space core. In some way or another. That's what I'm wondering if there was something, if there was a line on the night that said, you know, that explained why he had this jurisdiction to do it, or that's been cut, or whether I'm just, or whether I'd sort of headcanoned that in the intervening year. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's senior, so, so there's no, mm, you know. I guess it's the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a military. Uh, way of doing things in this episode because when he comes on board and Crichton does the whistly thing that's a military thing for when a, yeah. a visiting captain comes on board a navy vessel or some shit yeah uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's straight out of the handbook isn't it <laughs> yeah or some shit <laughs> some shit or some ship or shit uh, but in Red Dwarf it's a uh, it's the Jupiter Mining Corporation it's like the the ranks on Red Dwarf uh, roles within a company rather than military and so unless this ship was a JMC ship uh, I don't see why the captain would have that authority so maybe I the head cannon I think of all the ranks apart from captain because yeah like navigation officer like you know 
I don't know. There was there is some militariness to JMC, which makes me think maybe they do have to be like some sort of subset of this wider mm. government-led thing, perhaps. <laughs> NASA is technically part of the military, isn't it? In America, it's a government agency. Yeah, um, but it's some. It has military links, so maybe, yeah, maybe in Red Dwarf's time there is still military links to the thing. In which case, that would make sense that any senior-ranking military figure could promote any other senior military-ranking figure. Yeah. I think, but I'm not in the military, I mean, so I don't know. What about the astronauts for SpaceX? Or do SpaceX even have astronauts? SpaceX? Not yet. They don't have astronauts. Okay, so we'll probably soon answer that question, is that SpaceX is a private company that sends things into space when they start sending people into space you know what designation do they have do they have captains do they are they you know military style astronauts or what people are pointing out in their number in the chat room uh the the space corps and jmc and which is which and who's in charge of what i'd kind of forgotten that the space corps was a thing to be fair but yeah Maybe the Space Corps is the thing that's above yeah. uh, JMC, and JMC yeah. operates within Space Corps rules and regulations, mm. for example. Directives. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, true. And so this guy, Captain Herring, is is senior in the Space Corps, and so, yeah. Yeah, it works. We can make yeah. it make sense. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, you come across a random captain floating about in the middle of space and he can tell you what to do on your ship. That's fine. Good. So, um, Performing Monkey uh, said, and this kind of links into what we were talking about earlier, Performing Monkey said during the week, the question we've got to ask is, would a Rimmer that's been through everything he's been over over the years still slip into that twisted persona that a bit of power brings out in him? It's not at meltdown levels, but it's close. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the yeah, that's the thing. The first thing I thought of when I was seeing Remo going a bit mental was like he's kind of reverting back to kind of meltdown, power trip, ego thing. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the the one thing that I was that that did bother me a little bit was when Remo was multiplying himself. I was like, he never learns, but that's Rimmer. He never learns. Yeah. So it completely makes sense for his character to just do the same shit over and over again and not realise and not learn from his, his, his mistakes at all. You know, it's completely in character for him to just not learn. Yeah, and the fact that they um, they acknowledge that in the episode as well. Yeah. And then he's like, no, 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 but it'll work this time because because I'll be in charge of them. That's That yeah. was the problem last yeah. time. I'll be in charge of them. They'll all do what I say and everything will be fine. Yeah, and I I think that um, I mean it's nice having the characters have some development and maybe go on some sort of journey. But at the end of the day, I don't want this Rimmer to be precluded from being any of the different Rimmers he's been in the past. If you see what I mean, like yeah. I, I I don't want there to be character development to the point where he could never do the thing again because. That's that's a core part of his character. It always will be. You see what I mean? Like I would always want some sort of room for the characters to regress into, you know, into one of their, especially their flaws, because that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. Well, yeah, it's the difference between a drama and a comedy. And Red Dwarf, for all the extra analysis that we are responsible for over the last 
however many years it is a sitcom and it does need to, it does need to have certain things and it needs to have characters that can be slightly bendy in order to to suit making things funny uh and you can't have a sitcom that's for fully rounded uh perfectly reasonable people you can't have four reasonable people on a spaceship because that's not a sitcom yeah um but yeah, yeah there, there's room for some of that and it's it's it is maybe odd that this episode comes straight after give and take uh where you have Rimmer talking about all the stuff he's been through and his father issues and stuff and and seemingly trying to come to some sort of um of coming to terms with it in some way and then he just goes and does what he always does but it's he's had this special event happen to him of becoming an officer which is everything he's ever dreamed of and so obviously he's just going to go a bit potty with it
Alright, that's me told. No, I just need to talk through that, that's fine. No, yeah, well, that is that is quite literally why we're here. Uh, neither there was so many <laughs> for it. Um, so, yeah, we have, have covered our Rimmer um, to some extent, although we'll be returning to him, I'm sure. And there are several more Rimmers in this episode, uh, which we'll need to tackle shortly. Uh, if you vehemently disagreed with anything, or indeed everything that we've said so far, uh, please let us know by joining in the chat on Spreaker, or by tweeting us at Ganymede Titan. But first, it's time for Pete Trance's sister's favourite part of the podcast, a few things you may not know about the making of this episode. Ganymede and Titan presents Door Facts. Working titles for this episode included Lieutenant Rimmer, Admiral Rimmer, Officer Lister, Admiral Crichton, Officer Bollocks, and Captain Cunchops. Actor Stephen Critchlow was selected to play Captain Herring due to his unusually shaped head, which saved a lot of expensive prosthetic work. This cost-saving exercise was sadly undone when the unfortunate actor accidentally trod on and destroyed a scutter due to his restricted vision. For insurance purposes, the surviving scutters were required to don hard hats for their remaining scenes. Due to an admin error during pre-production, the scripts for this episode were actually printed on man-shaped paper. This inevitably proved problematic for the actors, and the added strain caused Robert Llewellyn's mask to melt around the eyes. Ironically, Edmore's favourite type of countryside is Dale. The officers' club scene was achieved by shooting green screen footage of the Newcastle-based actor and musician Jimmy Nail, and replacing his distinctive Newcastle face with that of Chris Barry, using computers. The final scene was originally due to feature a return appearance of Snacky, who would have been caught in bazookoid crossfire and destroyed. This element was dropped, as nobody could get through the rehearsals without crying. A deleted scene revealed that bioprints of Captain Herring and a young Rimmer were sent back in time to the early 21st century in order to work at a furniture showroom. The episode has come under a lot of criticism for its abrupt ending. We've spoken to Doug Naylor about this, and can exclusively reveal that the reason for this was... Hashtag Dwarf Facts. Some dwarf facts there. And yes, I did note, Pete Trent's sister, your sarcastic prediction at the start of the episode that there'd be a joke where uh, some audio is clipped off like the end of the episode. That was it. Hope you enjoyed it. We are nothing if not predictable. Uh, So let's crack on with our talking points. And uh, the fourth talking point of, of many is Second Technician's Rimmer, um, which is about all the multiple versions of Rimmer, which are all officers, not Second Technicians. So yeah, they're all officers. They wear, they wear Rimmer's blue so, costume, yeah. mostly. But yeah, like you were saying... Really, all I wanted to do there was... Go on. What uh, did you want to do? <laughs> all I wanted to do there was use that form of stuff, form of plural. I, I yes. find it really pleasing. <laughs> Could have said officers, Rimmer. So, there you go, anyway. But yeah, they were were all officers, but lower ranking than the main one. And as you pointed out earlier, why was the the highest ranking person? (laughs) Because he was the gatekeeper of who could come into his club. Uh, Oh, I thought we were the gatekeepers of fandom. Uh, Careful now. But he was on the door, it was his club that he made, and he gets to say who comes in. It's the no no listers club. Even though it's it's like, technically it'd be like a lowly position that you put someone on, he is going to take pleasure Mm. in like keeping certain people out. Yeah, 
Like Lister and Cat. He wants to do it. He it's wants not that to he do has it. to. Yeah. 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 Uh, International Debris okay. just said exactly the same thing in the comments, but to be fair, they are about a minute behind real life. So um, also, he I'm said not, it at the I same time. It, so. <laughs> no, no. I said it first. It's my thing. Yeah, he said it. He said it in our world after you'd said it, but for him it was before you'd said it because he's listening to you about oh, a minute no. ago, and in about twenty seconds time, International Debris' head's going to be exploding from this bit. Anyway, so also, as well as Concierge Rimmer, who's our Rimmer, uh, you also had Wine Waiter Rimmer, which was perhaps my favourite of the Rimmers. Yes, I really liked him, because he was so bored. He threw the short straw. <laughs> so yeah. was he not an, He was, They must have made him as not an officer, and presumably other staff for the, um, for the bar who were not officers. But yeah, it's asking for trouble, really, because these are him. They have his brain. They like how much would Rimmer resent that that yeah. particular Rimmer who is being made to be a wine waiter? Well, it would be an honour to serve an officer. Yeah, in the short. Well, it's term. similar to Rimmer World, though, isn't it? Because you've got subservient people to the higher Rimmer, isn't Rimmer? But there's you know there is still a hierarchy, even though they are all the same person. A Rimmerarchy. A Rimmerarchy, very good. Well, there's a future episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I will it. say, though, that the actual... The, I mean, do you remember when Sirens used to blow his mind by having two listers on the screen with no real visible split on the screen? What the fuck is this episode doing? There's at least, like, 25, 30 rivers <laughs> on the screen at once. Green screening, it's amazing. Green screening and rotoscoping. Uh, yeah. It's almost... I mean, it's almost to the level of just, like, shuffling. Like, there's an unnecessary amount of complexity on screen. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Got this technique nailed. Let's just throw everything we possibly can at the screen. Yeah. It's oh, great. The... There's been, been a real concerted effort not to have things overlap as well. It's like whenever the, um, the forerunners come into the shot um, just before they do the song, they all kind of walk in and kind of stop at a predetermined location. When they, when they come together, they genuinely do not look like as if they're intersecting at any point. They just, it just they've, they've planned it out so well that it just looks, it looks absolutely flawless for me. Even on the night, because um, this was in last week's preview, I said that there were two bits that were um, that were reliant on special effects, and I think you can probably. Uh, figure out what the second part is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, even even on the night, um, basically it was all there. Like all the individual rimmers were there. It's just that they weren't cut out. They weren't rotoscoped properly. So okay. they like on the monitors we saw like green screened rough cut rimmers walking through, and like the number of them were there uh, on the night for us, uh, the expressions, the various versions, I don't think, like, there may well have been more put on afterwards, but there were enough on the night to make yeah. me yeah. watch that scene and think, that is already a good scene, that's going to be amazing by the time they finished it. Yeah, And it was, yeah, it was... How, how long would they have been editing that for, a day, two days? Oh, oh God. God knows, if they'd have shot it earlier in the week, oh, yeah, oh. they wouldn't have had much time at all, uh, to get something turned around, so, yeah. No, yeah. Fair play. That's great that they had something ready for you like that. Yeah, this is it, yeah, it was a surprise. Um, but yeah, it is my favourite scene of the episode, I think. But it's really short. 
I mean, I'm stealing a point here from Pendo. Uh, so I'll, Pendo made this comment. The effects of the multiple rimmers is great, and I love the quartet, but nothing at all is done with them. In fact, none of the rimmers seem very rimmer-like at all. The rimmers should all have started falling out and fighting in the officers' club, making it, making it unbearable for rimmer prime. Which, the argument against that is that we've done multiple rimmer stories before. But it felt like we haven't had this many rimmers before, all like independent and like the amount that you can do with the latest techniques, like is like we were saying, like everything looked perfect and individual and, and not just cookie cutter. Yeah. But maybe if they'd have tried to do more, then maybe. they would have had to compromise on that on the effects well, a little bit. Yeah. Maybe this is because that this episode kind of made everyone think that it was going to be me squared. But actually, ended up being terrified. <laughs> well, like, there's there's different types of Rimmer psyche episodes. <laughs> this episode was. Rim... Go on. Oh god. No, no, you go. Sorry. Oh god. Um, well, I'm mine is a bit of a tangent, so you finish yours. <laughs> I may have possibly lost my thread. Fine. Should we talk? It? I'll save mine. I'll save mine because it's more of a, a bigger tangent. Um, but yeah, the the quartet of rumours was very good. Yes. I enjoyed that. That's one of my favourite. Dave decided to post that as a Facebook video today um, to promote the episode. That's kind of. Do you want to give away your yeah. best gag? Like, it's designed for people watching at Dave Pace, clearly, because it was tuned in tonight to see the brand new episode of Red Dwarf. So, well, yeah. Yeah, Odd. give away the gag. It was, yeah, it kind of felt felt like, with that being in the, the title sequence as well, the fact, obviously, we knew <laughs> that Howard Goodall had tweeted Quartet of Rimmers over a year ago. I saw this episode recorded and went, oh, fuck, that's what the Quartet of Rimmers is. Couldn't say anything about it for a year, obviously. But yeah, it seemed like that the episode was all building up to that point, and then, hmm. Yeah. This is where I... But then it was a different type of episode. Yeah. Yeah, but the, my... Unfortunately, it's like the the quartet of rumours is kind of the pinnacle, and then, at that point, the episode, for me, starts really going downhill. And it starts with point five, the many-faced rumour. Uh, which I was the other part that was reliant on special effects. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't keen. Uh, but I know, I think you were, Capsie. Tell, tell us why you liked yeah, it, and I'll I tell you why it. you're wrong. <laughs> so are we talked about the look of the thing. Like, uh, did you fall down on, on how it looks? Um, It struck me as odd that there were a few heads that were not Chris Barry's head, or that looked like they weren't anyway like obviously a bit some of them were you know multiple Chris Barry's on green screen that had been comped together they looked pretty good I think um, it was just that there were some static Zaphod Beeblebrox TV version style heads <laughs> that didn't look like Chris Barry see I disagree because I like even obviously there was there were certain heads and you could tell that they were like molded ones. Yeah. But there was a photo that's posted on Twitter mm. earlier, um, and you can tell that they are they are like designed on Chris's face. Um, the thing that bugged me a little bit was that all of the the Compton 
actual um, Chris Barry faces were all doing the same thing. Yes. And that uh, that I found that slightly more distracting than than the fake heads because I was like, well, you can't, you know, you can't have all real faces. That's fine. I'm quite happy with that. But I'd want the faces <clears throat> that were Chris to be doing uh, different things, but they were all doing the same thing. Which is in stark contrast to the officers club scene where yes, they exactly. were all doing individual things. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting because my brain didn't kind of pick up on that. It will now, though. Yeah. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. welcome. <laughs> but I, yeah. I liked. Um, I mean, the, the the effect like did enough for me to kind of like to 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 trick me into maybe not even thinking too much about how they did it. And one of the things that I really did quite like is the various layering on of sounds, all Chris Barry sounds on top of each other. Mm. One of which was him apparently just sobbing. <laughs> I think well, that wasn't that supposed to be background noise of just Chris Barry sobbing whenever the um the monsters on screen. It's really <laughs> unnerving. So it's like all emotions at the same time. Yeah. 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 But yeah, but like Joe says, that isn't reflected in their actual faces because they're no. all doing the same thing at the same time. Well, yeah, I think someone mentioned in the comments that basically it was um that it was it's it's like that some of the faces are going to be destroyed because the printer fucked up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's but that's, it, that's a fair. I can I can I can understand that, that if that was the intention. Also, I also genuinely was looking. The first thing I thought was spitting image, and I thought it was quite ironic considering it's Chris Barry. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I got that there were supposed to be printing fuck ups because the printer jammed again. But it just didn't. Uh, it looked too different. It would. It didn't look like Chris Barry's face distorted. It looked like a random distorted face. Yeah, it was gurning, and then obviously multiple. Yeah, I, yeah. I think as well, one of the things that really impressed me was just how bold the idea itself felt. I mean, it was very familiar in that it was a monster has suddenly been created from something. I mean, it was DNA to a T. Ah, but that was my tension. The, the fact that it was a... Okay. <laughs> yeah, this, this episode is DNA for the 21st century. Um, it, even down to Rimmer... Rimmer discussing the fact that his DNA will be on his belongings, even though in the DNA episode his last bit of DNA was sneezed on by the cat and destroyed. But never mind. But yeah, it was in terms of the structure of the episode, it was DNA. Um, they find a weird thing, then something uh, happens to one of the characters that makes a huge change in their life, and you spend a good chunk of the episode, 15, 20 minutes exploring how that change affects that character how the how he now relates to the other three characters uh and it's all building up nicely and it's really funny and really good character stuff and then uh there is no clear ending in sight and so a monster is invented out of nowhere and so you end with a kind of tacked on I mean, I liked the, I liked the curry monster, and I suppose like I've got some nitpicks about it, but I do like the rumor monster as well. I don't think it's a shit idea. I think it's tacked on, and I think the episode goes really downhill because this thing has come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden that's what the episode's about, whereas it wasn't before. It wasn't about escaping from a monster and defeating a monster until five minutes before the episode ended. That's all really good points. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't leave I anyone anything to reply to. 
no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to think why none of that bothers me. And I think it's because actually a lot of DNA, or a lot of the problems people have with DNA and doesn't particularly bother me. I, I, this is well-worn territory, but I think actually Officer Rimmer has a better ending than DNA. Um, really? <laughs> uh, even with the, the abruptness. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I liked, I think it was built up to um, is this why it doesn't bother you? Pete Part 3 has just pointed out, surely the episode is about Rimmer abusing his power and so the Rimmer monster squares with that. Yeah? Yes. It does. I'll give him that. In fact, I was just about to say that. And, in fact, and in, you know, in DNA, there's a reason for the curry monster existing in story. In story, there's a reason for the, for the Rimmer monster existing. I just yeah. think I would have preferred... And this is something as well. Um, where did I... Uh, I made a note somewhere. This was another performing monkey comment. In fact, the same performing monkey comment as earlier, but the second bit, which I forgot to read out earlier. Um, he, he reckons that Lister needed more of a role in the episode, uh, and it would have been nice if Lister had been able to pull Rimmer back from the brink with some decent dialogue. Like, for for Lister, the moral heart of the show, to to save the mm. day using words rather than bazookoids. But then, mm. yeah, this isn't Doctor Who. They are allowed to shoot things. <laughs> Do have the right? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe Paul Williams is saying that it's a metaphor. Uh, probably is. Fair enough. But I just didn't like it. And I'll tell you what I didn't like either. Pac-Man thing. <laughs> oh, see, I really like the Pac-Man. We disagree I, I, on this. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a problem with it. Just because it, it was just a silly thing. And I think it's like another one of the things where Red Dwarf gets silly. And I don't really mind when Red Dwarf gets silly. Yeah. It doesn't get like, ridiculously silly. Well, maybe if, if, if I think about it, if I think, oh, but of course that makes no sense. But the truth of the matter is that came on screen, and I did a massive lull, and I so like I think, have to let it let it go <laughs> after after that's happened. I think. I think yeah, it was um, maybe it depends on your mood at that point, how you react when Red Dwarf goes silly. If you're really enjoying what immediately precedes the silliness, then you'll go along with it perhaps a little more easily than me who was sat there feeling a little bit grumpy and then all of a sudden there's a Pac-Man. Yeah. I had to go back because I assumed I mean, that I'd missed a bit of dialogue that explained why the CCTV footage looked like Pac-Man. <laughs> like if, if Crichton said something like, oh, we're going to have to route it through this software that makes it look like Pac-Man. But <laughs> there was no... He just said, here's the CCTV footage and it was Pac-Man. <laughs> Best guessers. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, this is this is like the old old red dwarf argument is that if you are enjoying the surroundings yeah. of an episode, you can do anything. It, or you can get away with pretty much anything. Um, and uh, you know, it all hangs on whether you're actually enjoying yourself or not. Yeah. Or well, you know, whether you find you're finding everything kind of you know funny enough. To kind of just let these things pass, it's like Pete, Pete just said on the speaker page, there's nothing wrong with the Pac Man, it's utterly dumb, but they get to pass. Another episode that Pete didn't like, he'd hate it, and we know, you know, yeah, uh, and it's the same with anyone, yeah, which isn't a very useful thing for me to say, but it's no, you know, and it's weird. I, I find myself as the I think the least enthusiastic. Uh, person on GNT about this episode, and that's not normally the case uh, because John and Tanya exist. 
and they and I te- I tend to be one of I tend to gloss over the little faults that I I'm just finding it hard to gloss over on this episode, and I don't know why that is. I think it's just yeah, it's, it's just a, a bit of a disappointment uh, towards the end. Uh, I think it I, I think it goes downhill fast, and that kind of colours my judgment of the rest of the episode. But in particular, talking point six, cold closing. We can get onto it now. Jesus Christ! Oh my God! <laughs> What a weird ending. Sorry, mate. Fight. No, you go. I've talked enough. Um, the, the problem, the problem I had was it was the the fact the ending the the, the last line it was so abrupt, but the line before it when Lister was saying, "Oh, there's another thing you haven't put on the end of that list." It just seems really laboured to get to that line, and it still doesn't feel like it's. It just it isn't really satisfying, and that's the thing that really frustrates me about it. Mm. It's just that ending. I know it's coming. This time I watched it knowing it was coming, and I was just like, oh, no, this is the bit I really don't like. And it's just that bit, and that, that horrible kind of sinking feeling going, oh, this episode's about to end now without really much closure. And it just it's frustrating. I think more than anything else, it's just really frustrating to watch. I think you might have hit on to be, be like, or what I think as well is, is the pun with the ending. It isn't the fact that it's a sudden hard cut to credits because done right that sort of thing can work incredibly well in any medium i think there's something incredibly satisfying about an unexpected but well worked kind of Shot, crash cut yeah. to, to to end something or to give you a title card or something along those lines but yeah you're right the setup was just was a nothing really they with every single one of those rimmers always having a pen, I I loved that. Yes, and I thought that, that, yes. Was that was played great. really well. Top really notch. Yeah, you're right. Lister's kind of oh, but there's one more thing you've got to put on your list, and that is that you <laughs> are going to die now. You've got to die. The end. Just... <laughs> <laughs> and the really Slightly... thing of the door shutting behind Rimmer and the having to go all the way around just so they're on the other side of the monster and just all that stuff just seemed really kind of. There was a. What are we gonna do? Just do it. Like, why? Why are we pissing about with all this? Just kind of, one oh, have to go around the long way and all that kind of stuff. It just seemed really unnecessary. It was just. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. There, there was some odd directing there because he was the monster was facing Rimmer or had Rimmer cornered and everyone else was behind and then suddenly the monster was square on facing the other way and there wasn't any kind of inter interstitial shots there obviously because of technical reasons and it just kind of gave it this weird kind of jumpy feeling it's a bit off on that as well it doesn't feel like as if anything seems to make sense the way that the, the i don't know i just i just can't get the geography of where where everyone was meant to be mm. okay. yeah i remember thinking on the night that the like there must be more special effects to come and that's why it like it didn't feel like a proper ending to the audience because there was going to be some amazing special effects shot that ended that, mm. and there wasn't. Maybe there was plans so to was do there that. No temporary effects. No, there was there was nothing. We it was well, it was how it was in the episode. Pretty it, much, there was just there was the the main mm. actual Chris face in it because Chris was in the middle of it. Yeah. And then there was the fake ones, but then we didn't see any. Obviously, we didn't see any of the extra ones. No, I'm t- talking specifically about the ending, though. The oh, fact right. that I assumed that after Lister fired the bazookoid, there'd yes. be a cut to some sort of special effect oh, shot yeah. of the Rimmel monster blowing up or Hang something. On. Was was Chris in the Rimmel monster costume live for some scenes? 
Oh, it was pre. No, it was all on tape, but um, oh, well, that's okay. tape. No, <laughs> that's not actual tape. But, <laughs> but, but um, there was no tape. But yeah, I think part of it was Chris physically there and augmented in post. But again, this is another reason why the um, I'm most looking forward to the Officer Rimmer section of the DVD documentary because yeah. not only is all the fascinating stuff about chopping bits from different episodes and dropping them in, it also has has you know these visual effects uh, moments in it where you think oh how did they actually do that because mm. a good model shot you know it's a good model shot a bit a good bit of cg you know it's a good bit of cg but there's some of the effects in this episode you think oh i wonder how much of that was actual real chris barry how much of it were they were able to do live how much of it is put on afterwards how much of it's physical how much of it's cg it's cool. I mean, it's a piece of costume it looks like a really fucking complicated thing to make yeah yeah you know, to have like sort of everything have like seventeen arms and trousers and stuff everywhere. It's like it's a piece of costume that someone's got to put on and you know and control like a you know like a big multi arms beast. It's it's incredibly involved thing to make. It's crazy. Well, again, it's it's an example of this series kind of doing something and or, and and following it right through to its logical conclusion and not feeling like it's been timid with the special effects or scaling back on this in order to not overstretch or anything like that. It's just fucking going for it. <laughs> like every idea is just like, well, let's just throw everything at this and see what happens. And it's, it's really working for me anyway. You know, every, every time they really throw something at the screen. Is it the first time we've had a monster based on a crew member? Or am I miss... Um, I mean, the tiny robot lister... But well, in terms of an enemy, like an actual, an actual, an actual, an actual enemy. An antagonist, I suppose yeah. the self-loathing beast from Terraform, although it didn't look like yeah. Rimmer. Yeah, that's technically Rimmer, I suppose, yeah. But yeah, they, it didn't look like... It, it didn't not look based, Barry's yeah, face. it's not like it's taken over. I suppose Polymorph, you could argue, because it looks like them. Yeah. Well, you guys... Rimmer, yeah, quarantine, yeah, someone said Rimmer in quarantine, that's right. <laughs> uh, while you guys have been chatting, I've been trying to come up with an ending I like <laughs> in my head because um, I did say on GNT because basically the thing with them shooting it and then it cutting mm. off presumably it just dissolved into pieces of paper like Captain Herring did because that's how they expire mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't see why that would have been a huge issue to film like a piece of paper mm. just float, floating to the ground but anyway, um, I think I would have liked the resolution to be less let's just shoot this thing and to be more about Rimmer accepting. Because obviously Rimmer has to resign anyway, in a, like for reasons, because, yeah. so that they can let him into, the, into the, the grunt section, which they then don't close the door. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I kind of would have liked maybe that to be part of the resolution. So he has to confront the Rimmer monster, which is still Rimmer. Yeah. And is still below him in the rankings if he hasn't resigned. And he says that their duty is up because he's no lot like he's he's gonna be resigning and therefore they've got nobody to serve so that so their job is over. And so he kind of has to 
resolved the situation himself rather than just going in all guns blazing. Yeah, it would have been a lot more satisfying. I've just had a thought that I wonder whether the ending is meant to be Lister doing what Rimmer did in the beginning of the episode. So Rimmer setting off the, the, the bomb to for the greater good and then Lister doing the same thing and kind of being like, he's obviously bollocks Rimmer for doing it and then he did it. I don't know whether it's meant to be a parallel or something. I don't know. I think it ends too abruptly for you to tell because it just yeah. throws you out of the episode. It's yeah. like, the end it really does. Just gone. And it's so jarring. Like, I've seen it a few times now and and I kind of hoped it would get better on additional viewings, but it just it just feels like you're just completely thrown out of the episode. And you've got no time to, like, normally it would kind of, the episode ends and then it kind of goes into the music and then you, you, you've kind of got time to kind of stew on your thoughts. And But I don't feel like that with this episode. Even, like, last week with the with the lift thing, that's fine because that's how the episode ended. It wasn't jarring. It had an ending. Mm. Whereas this has no ending, but it just stops. And then you're like, what happened? Like all three of us, when we were in the room watching it, we just all looked at each other because yeah. we were like, what happened? <laughs> and also, <laughs> tonight as well, um, with the the way that the episode was broadcast and therefore the way that most people would have seen it, they squeezed and voiceovered the credits Yes. Uh, for the first time ever uh, because we've always... We, we noted during Back to Earth that it was unusual and, and well done for not doing that. And they've never done it on a Red Dwarf episode. An original, you know, first broadcast Red yeah. Dwarf episode before. But Is this because they're sure. shilling this new thing? Zapped. Yeah. I'm sure I remember Doug yeah. saying something about, like, not liking the squeezing. Yeah. But yeah, and so yeah, people are people have made suggestions while the people have been rabbiting on and going on tangents in our chat about um, ways to fix. Uh, and I think it was John's Mad that suggested doing some sort of credit interrupting thing where it becomes a printer jam as a way of breaking it up. But then that wouldn't have worked if they'd have squeezed the credits. Well, yeah, you cannot do that. That's why you don't see in TV in general anymore anyone pissing about with their credits too much because there are, yeah. there are regulations. Well, Charlie Brooker, which is taking the piss out of the whole idea. Oh, yeah. Charlie Brooker's already made this point. I won't bother. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I will move on to asking, is it shit or is it good? And uh, I think three quarters of this room would say good. And I wouldn't say shit. Like, yeah. I'm not... like. People have been commenting. I think Cy Bromley called me a grumpy cunt at some point, which is rich, really. Cy, come on. Uh, I, I'm not 100% down on this episode. I don't think it was shit. I think it was. I think it was the worst of the four so far, and I think it was just a little bit ordinary, um, which is a, a massive shame considering the ambition of of certain sequences in it. Overall, I don't. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was a bad episode of Red Dwarf and definitely not a bad episode of TV in general but it didn't grab me in the way that um, in the way that Twentica and Give and Take definitely did yeah is it shit or is it good it's it's a really good episode right up until the last five minutes yeah and that's for me it's like there's some really good crying stuff and there's some really good list of stuff in there as well and stuff with the call centre and stuff I think that's quite good 
and and crying and trying to disobey while obeying at the same time and telling, getting listed to do something because he can't do it and all that kind of stuff. I kind of like that stuff, you know. That stuff was good. We just falls apart the last five minutes. It's just a shame, really. I think that's what it is. It's just a shame. Jonathan Caps, is it shit or is it good? I think it's good, and I think it's good. And then at some point during the episode, for me, it becomes shit. I think it's just that the point from before the episode ends and the point for you was maybe five ten minutes before it ended yes <laughs> the ending let it down regardless I just think that it just yeah it depends uh, how much you count as the on. ending <laughs> um, yeah people are talking about samsara and debating whether it's better or worse I think it's a similar situation that yeah, I I really liked samsara. I really liked samsara up into a certain point and then it went downhill and it was probably mm. earlier in the episode in samsara to be fair but I think um, I think I just enjoyed the stuff prior to that more than I did this, and it's subjective, and there's no real reason for it. So I'll let someone else talk now. Joe, was it shit or was it? Good? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it's, when it comes to subjective arguing, I mean, our <laughs> semi-retrospective, if that happens, will yeah. be full of it. I think for the series because it's just there's so many interesting differences of opinions, but this episode just doesn't have a big, long, meandering scene of Lister and Cap bollocking on. <laughs> with lines that sound like jokes that aren't actually jokes that you know like ev- ev- nothing really seemed wasted in this episode like it did with for a lot of samsara okay um, some, some stuff wasn't used enough i think yeah i think yeah. i figured out what it was i think in this episode the highs didn't quite hit as high even though there was more of them than in samsara i think the the really good bits in samsara were better than the really really good bits in this uh, slightly, mm. but that was Samsara. I shouldn't be bollocking on. Uh, <laughs> Joe is the last remaining no, person to declare: to is it shit or is it good? Um, I think it's mostly good. Mostly good. I can't get on board with the ending because there isn't one. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's little to get on board but, with. Um, but I mostly like it. Yes, good. Right. Well, that's that one tackled forever. Um, after the break, we will, as usual, be covering ourselves in a variety of small points, by which we mean the smaller details of Office of Rimmer that we've not yet discussed. Uh, so if you'd like us to take your small point into our mouths, tweet us at Ganymede Titan or comment on Spreaker. And while you're doing that, it's time to hear from our sponsors. Oak Furniture Land's bank holiday sale ends Monday. Stop! All you need is the knock test. This is how real wood should sound. Not only can you see the quality of our furniture, you can hear it too. Just as a thought. Our bank holiday sale ends Monday. One, two, one, two. Right, let me handle this this time. <clears throat> this is Acting Senior Officer Arnold J. Rimmer of the Jupiter Mining Corporation transport vessel Blue Midget. Now, listen to me, New Zealand. I'm only going to say this once, so leave those sheep alone for a minute and pay attention. Red Dwarf on TV4, just watch it. Brit Comedy Wednesday, 10 past 8 on TV4. Smack it. No veneer in it. No veneer in here. 
No veneer in ear. No veneer in ear. No veneer in ear. The Oak Furniture Land Solid Summer Sale. 100% solid hardwood furniture at up to 50% off. No veneer in ear. Solid Summer Sale now on. 20 years on. It's party time! And still going strong. We are unbelievable. Celebrate two decades of Red Dwarf with the Body Snatcher Collection DVD box set. And I think we all know what that means. Series 1, 2 and 3 remastered and remixed plus all new extras. Also on DVD, Just the Smegs. Over two hours of special features. New Red Dwarf on DVD from ABC Shops, Centres, Retailers and Online. I see a land, a land without wobbly dining table, flat packs or Allen keys. Where exclusively designed furniture is made using solid oak, a place of dovetail joints, beautiful detail. So let's furnish the land with oak furniture land. And there's up to 50% off too. Welcome back. Now, does anyone know where I can get my hands on some solid oak furniture? Uh, do let us know over on G&T, but first, it's time to dive headfirst into a huge mound of small points. And I have a few small points uh, today, um, one of which I've completely stolen from Joe, who mentioned it during the ad break. So it's fine, I don't care. <laughs> and it's, um, it's to do with... And I should have mentioned it earlier, really, because it's to do with things being deleted. Our tiny teaser for this episode was Dirty Dave. And uh, Dirty Dave refers to something that was cut from the episode. <laughs> and presumably, like, like this bit definitely can't be used in a future episode because uh, it is intrinsically related to this plot. It's basically, it's from a scene that's in this episode, but it's a bit that got shaved off. And I'm not going to give spoilers away because I think it's quite a funny joke and it's going to be in the deleted scenes. So look out for a reference to Dirty Dave. Yes. Isn't the, isn't the tiny teaser for a Series 12 set report yes. Um, yes. from this episode? Yes. So uh, when we come to reviewing the third Sorry. episode to be recorded in Series 12, the, t- the tiny teaser for that will refer to Officer Rimmer. The tiny teaser is Gerald the Giraffe. Uh, which was uh, what Lister That's had a dream funny. about. Uh, one of the okay, things yeah. mentioned in the in the dream. Something about fucking a giraffe. Can't no, the giraffe. The giraffe hosted a party. Yes. That he went to, and list and Lister Craig Charles delivers that uh, line really. Well. He kind of throws away the punchline of that. Was there was no future in it. <laughs> uh, talking point number two. Uh, no, small point number two. Uh, they kept up this again. This is something that I stole from Joe when we first watched this a week ago. Um, they kept they keep on reusing the same music cue. Uh, yeah, it's, fucking hell. Danny is the world's leading expert on Red Dwarf music cues. Um, <laughs> it's the one that goes da 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 do do yeah, that that, that was, uh, yeah, because they used it between they used it to bump between uh, two ad breaks, and that's where it really, especially when you're watching on demand where there are no ad breaks. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's really noticeable that they're bookending it with that. So how the hell that's going to work on the 
DVD. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe I just cut out one of the model shots entirely. Yeah, I assume on the DVD that those two scenes are just going to flow into each other with the model shot as a transition, and yeah. it will play through. Like there won't mm. be there won't be any. But it was even jarring tonight on broadcast where there is an ad break because there's a brake bumper straight after um, the bit. Uh, yeah. Which is da, 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 da. so you just you just keep on hearing these series one different bits of these series one music cues over and over again in different configurations sometimes just after each other and yeah, yeah weird yeah it really confused me when it played because it took my brain to the end of an episode mm. like that's what I, that's what my brain connected with it was like once they've resolved something. Yeah. That's the music cue that yeah. happens, and so yeah, it's usually sort of like re-establishment of the status quo. Yeah. Or, um, or it's used sometimes when there's something like a disruption to the plot. Yeah. So I think in like confidence and paranoia, that kind of thing, I think it's used in you know to when 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 the when the disjoint is happening in the plot, or whether there's a there's a res- resolution. Yeah. Maybe back when there was a little bit more thought put into which cues we used where and how often. It does yeah. seem to be, yeah, it seems to be that currently, as well as lots of really good original Howard Goodall stuff that's recorded for the series, but which seems to be quite limited uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Howard Goodall mm-hmm. is a very busy and therefore expensive man. There does mm-hmm. seem to be a kind of grab bag of various old ones that they just kind of pluck one out and, and chuck it. I'm probably, you know, they deserve more credit than that, but it's not like the old days where there'd be specific cues for specific purposes. It's kind of like, we need a cue, here it is. Yeah, uh, but there's loads. There's loads yeah. of cues that they, they haven't used yet, and they could if they've got the price to use them. It's just there's so many more cues they could have used, but they just seem to stick to these sort of same three for some reason. It's weird. Yeah, and yeah. I think yeah, I I feel uncomfortable with what I just said because I didn't mean to imply that there was any kind of laziness involved in it at all. It's just that it does seem that the same ones are being used again and again, and there must be a reason for that that we yeah that we yeah don't I, I totally agree. I think, I think yeah, I wonder whether it's a rights issue or a relicensing yeah. issue. I don't know. It's 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 it maybe gets really weird and complicated, especially maybe, now it's not part of the BBC anymore. Maybe they've only got really high quality copies of a few. Yeah. I don't know. But then, you know, the ones in the DVD are all right. Anyway, Danny, did you have a small point? Uh, my, my small point was just about model shots again, basically. Um, the model shots are still uh, absolutely fucking brilliant. Still, still good. And there's, there's, yeah, there's a really nice shot of Starbug landing in the hangar from a sort of a, a you know, down angle. That looks fantastic. Um, the shot of the, the ship getting destroyed and being blasted off by a... I think look fantastic. I just, you know, I'm... I'm I'm just kind of blown away by all the model shots in this series. They look really, really nice. They look really polished. There was one in this episode that I thought was a bit odd. I mean, I've, what, I've turned into... I've turned into John Hall. <laughs> I keep on... Everyone's talking about what's really good, and I'm saying, ah, but this version was shit. Uh, there was one... Model, get well soon, John. There was one model shot where Starbug zips towards Red Dwarf's landing bay, and it kind of goes up and and down again and lands vertically. It looks like it's about to career into it. It's fine. It's not bad. It's just odd. I think it's just the angle of the camera is pointing up at the side of the ship and it's looking yeah. at the starboard flying into We've, the ship but because of the angle. 
I think my dad said something similar. He said something about the fact it looked, it looked odd because the angle it was. He said it didn't make sense. I like it because there is no up. I mean, yeah. the only the only relevance to up and down is within the ships themselves. I like the fact that it's kind of that it was. We wasn't shot like it was a plane kind of flying, you know, onto an aircraft carrier. It was a spaceship flying into another spaceship. Yeah, quite like. They're using the the dimensions properly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just that in the past we've always seen the landing bay on the side in in inverted commas of the ship. Yeah, there's there's kind of the classic kind of forty five degree angle, you know, south, you know, sideways um, angle on it. Yeah. Um, It was. I would now like to see uh, my girlfriend's small point. (laughs) Um, my small point is I was a little bit peeved. that the lift appeared to be impersonating Hattie slash Holly. Oh, that's um, the grunt lift. The grunt lift was very, like, Hattie-style Holly. Yeah. Um, and that annoyed me a little bit, because I was like, then why did you just get Hattie back? <laughs> if, you want, if you want an AI on board Red Dwarf to be a ditzy Cockney woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how pissed off we'd have been if we'd have found out Hattie would have been relegated to a lift. (laughs) (laughs) But at least it would be better than not involved at all. Or having someone pretend to be her, which is basically what they did. They got someone... Yeah, I think it was just doing a Cockney accent, but because it was a female Cockney accent, it sounded quite like Hattie. I don't know how intentionally it would have been on the part of the voiceover Mm. artist. It was just like, I'm going to do a comedy voice, here's one. But in the context of this show... Yeah. It reminds you of of a specific former yeah. character. Former I might be movie. misremembering, but how similar was that voice to the the offended um vending machine in Dear Dave? Uh like the offended one. Oh the yeah. Oh no, I she was no, French. French. I'm one. thinking of the voice on the night. Oh yeah. It was like a Catherine Tatey sort of voice. On the night, yeah. On the recording, yeah. And someone just said it was sounding more like Catherine Tate to them, and that's what kind of led me down that area. So, God, never, never make me think of Catherine no, Tate. No, never. I never think of Catherine Tate. I'm going to get to series four on my <laughs> to Who rewatch at some point, and it's going to be worse than what I'm currently watching, which is Colin Baker. Anyway, just just, just give up at that point. Just throw away two years <laughs> of your life at that point. It's not worth it, mate. But that's Doctor Who, and this is Red Dwarf. And, <laughs> that's a different uh, project of yours. And, and another small point <clears throat> is that there's a joke that's A, really odd, and B, potentially a little bit offensive, but nowhere near levels of some of the offensive jokes in the last series. Um, in the early cockpit scene, where Crichton's talking about bioprinted people, he says, like movie stars, many of them can't reproduce naturally. Or words to that effect. Mm. Uh, what? A, it's just a really crowbarred joke. Yeah. It's just like, that's not part of a sentence. That's not a conversation. I took... Oh, I like that. I took that to mean it's just that they make a bloody meal out of it and call them stupid things. <laughs> that's exactly how I saw it as well. It was like the sort of... Um, yeah, I dressed them up stupid. Called them stupid, yeah. Called them the but that's not reproducing, is apple. it? That's raising children. Then they say reproducing... I've got major issues with that line, which I think I complained about to Ian on the yes. next, which is that it's a very dodgy ground, because 
when you're talking specifically about reproducing, which he is, um, you're talking about people who can't necessarily have children naturally. You're talking about people who adopt children as if that's in some way a bad thing. It seemed to be a oh. dig at like Angelina Jolie, yeah. Madonna type people who go and adopt children. But is that a target that you want to be? Hitting? Yeah, I d- I think it's it, the target is not one really you should be aiming at. Andy Holland has just described it as mean spirited, and I think that's the best way yes. of, of describing. It. It's not offensive. No, to it's me, just, yeah. uh, but it's it's a bit. Eh, Why do you have to go there? Yeah, and there was. Another joke about um, Amish. There's another Amish joke, and the, is that like the third in series eleven? <laughs> Which one was it? Um, it was one of the TV channels that they were flicking through. Amish, I can't remember. Amish MTV. Ar- yeah. Amish MTV. So just weird out. Which is then, quite yeah? a funny idea. Weird out. <laughs> yeah. Amish paradise and. My super sweet barn raising. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have music on MTV. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> it seems to be a new, like, Doug has got a thing about the Amish at the moment. <laughs> it's not bad, it's just, it's just something Interesting. Yeah. I, I've got, I've yeah, got another, um, with, with regards to the dialogue, um, Lister cuts, I don't know if it's just me overthinking this, but he calls Lister, uh, calls Rimmer a total grunt. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, that's quite close to the bone, mate. <laughs> I liked that a lot. That was my favourite bit <laughs> of the latter part of the episode. The suggestion that there's a joke in Red Dwarf that's based on a word that sounds a bit like cunt sounding a bit like cunt. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board right. with that. Um, I should justify as the tone of G&T for the last 16 years. <laughs> yeah, it was all worth it. Um, there's a few small points that have come in from the fans uh, that I should... Sorry, not fans. Listeners. Fans of the show. Fans of Red Dwarf, yeah. yeah. I wasn't trying to be arrogant. Devotees. Devotees. Uh, riff Raff. Grunts. Grunts. A set cunts. of grunts. I mean, grunts. Um, anyway, I'm trying to be nice to the cunts. Um, Paul Williams uh, said, was Rimmer standing with his legs spread a reference to the Tory stance? Uh, which I've seen a few memes on Twitter because um, yeah it's the thing it was about a year ago year and a half maybe it was the last Tory conference where someone had taught the Tories how to stand like humans and so you had a <laughs> thing of George Osborne spreading his legs really wide and there's a famous yeah. picture of that and also fucking utterly fucking ridiculous yeah also Theresa May when she was an evil home secretary rather than an evil prime minister doing the exact <laughs> same yeah. stance and that would have been a topical thing when Doug was writing this and when they were making it, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that it is. And also, uh, Doug tweeted the other day in reply to someone talking about that particular stance. <laughs> I keep saying the word stance, and now the word stance is amusing to me. Uh, Doug tweeted, Chris Barry and Bobby Lou talk about that stance on the Red Dwarf 11 making of Doc and the kind of people that stand like that. So, yeah. The fact that it's Robert talking about it as well <laughs> makes oh. me think that it's definitely some sort of Tory reference. Does he say Robert and Chris discuss that? Yes, because that's the other that's issue. That's going to be a very interesting <laughs> conversation, isn't it? <laughs> Chris reads the Daily Telegraph. And we'll probably leave it at that. Um, Nick R's small point uh, was uh, is Captain Herring's name a reference to Captain Haddock from Tintin? Maybe. Oh, I'd never even put them two together. 
But yeah, probably. Uh, I saw someone um, hmm. tweeting earlier. I don't think it was one of like, someone just on the hashtag saying, uh, "Is his name Captain Edwin Herring?" Yeah, I don't know. Something. something yeah. Like. Uh, yeah, Edwin Herring. Yeah. So Ed Herring, like a red herring, is that a thing? Is that why he was oh, named? Oh, Ed Herring. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Um, another small point um, from... Uh, well, it's from Joe, again. Uh, he steals my, all my things. My secrets are being revealed. All my Red Dwarf opinions are stolen <laughs> from Joe. I don't n- normally let her talk. I've gone, I've gone rogue. Uh, you want to do it, dear? Okay. Um, my small point... Yes. <laughs> um, ...is... Would Rimmer have been absorbed? Like they were saying, we're going to absorb the final Rimmer, but why would oh, yeah. they? Would he be absorbed? Why would they absorb him? He's not like he's not printed. Yeah, he's a hologram. He's yeah, he's a hard like hologram. He's so... not made of. I wonder if um the 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 monster Rimmer if it started saying, well I've absorbed all the. Or the other Vimmers and turned to sort of the cat and Lister, and that Vimmer would then have to do something possibly heroic to save them. Mm. Would have maybe been a, a yet another better ending. There seems to be a, a whole book <laughs> I, of better endings. I quite, they, I quite <laughs> enjoyed. About. Yeah, the um, the last week's Let's Talk About thread was a lot of sort of head canony, fan fictiony type, you know, suggestions yeah. for different ones. That was quite enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's I, been loads of that stuff for this series in general. I think the series has kind of been quite good at inspiring people to come up with really good kind of dwarfy ideas that would fit into episodes. Yeah. And it, it, but it is odd though that almost no. In fact, I think all four episodes so far have had people commenting on the ending being weird in one way or the other. Like the Halcyon days of Twentica, when all it was was a hastily tacked on coda. Because uh, every episode since has felt cut short in some way. I didn't have a problem with give and take, but a lot of people did. And yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, Officer Rimmer and Samsara needed more on the end. Um, I've just realised the time. Um, we are aiming to be off air in five minutes, so we'd better um, we better start talking about what happened today. The crisis, crisis. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we had a bit of a yeah. panic this morning, didn't we, Capsi? Because <laughs> uh, we were, we we like just published, <laughs> just, just tweeted the link to our let's talk about Officer Rimmer on Dave thread, um, which no, our learnings for next year are that no one gives a shit about those threads this year. <laughs> but anyway, that's beside the point. So we yeah. just posted that, and then uh, we got a tweet from uh, our good friend Curtis Threadgold saying. Crisis is on. <laughs> now, what? <laughs> and then several panicked emails back and forth. Yes, today, um, by accident, it turns out, because Doug tweeted to uh, to such an effect, they released Crisis 24 hours early. And so now there are certain people, um, some of whom have posted on GNT about it, some of whom are listening and chatting away right now, some of whom are Capsy. Have <laughs> I was trying to think of some way of describing it. No, it's Capsi. Uh, have watched an episode that no one else has watched. And, ah, as if it couldn't get as weird and fragmented enough as it was. There are three tiers of haves and haves, have-nots right now. And I, I fucking hate this situation. Because 
it's it, this this early release of it and then taking it down, which is the worst of the two things that I've just said. Like releasing it early is pretty bad. Taking it down again is worse, about ten times worse. Um, it's just highlighted how egregious the entire yeah situation of the series is, the broadcast of the series. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd I'd vowed at one point just to myself. Uh, as a personal decision that I wasn't I was going to do my best not to bollock on about it anymore because when it got first announced we were all we were taken aback by it really the the announcement that it would be previewed every episode a week early online it really it took us a while to get our heads around how to cope with that and so once we got it sorted I'm like I was like right let's concentrate on the episodes now let's just concentrate so I've been biting my tongue for ages but God, I wish they hadn't have done this. It's so messy. It's so annoying. It's like... Yeah. You were saying earlier, privately, Cupsy, uh, about your sexually transmitted disease. But let's <laughs> not talk about that. Let's just talk about the other private thing you said. Um, I, asked, I asked you briefly what you thought of Crisis, and you said it feels like the exact type of episode that you need to have everyone watching it at the same time. And obviously yeah. you can't go into too many details about why that is, but, yeah. I mean, it, uh, Officer Rimmer is exactly the same. Um, I, I would argue Twentica, like Samsara and Give and Take are more like that That was an episode of Red Dwarf. But, like, the, the, the stuff that, there's, there's really nice surprising stuff going on this week. There's nice surprising stuff going on next week. And I just, I want to enjoy all that with everyone at once. Not have to worry That's about all I spoilers. Want. Yeah, because yeah, it, there's there's now there's now comments on my website that I can't read because I didn't happen to be in a position yeah. to watch Crisis. I was yeah. at work in the two hours that Crisis was online, and it's bad enough even on a normal week without this little extra mini fuck up. Is that if you're at work, um, ha- like loads of people are talking about the episode like from as soon as it goes online if you happen to be in a position where you can't watch the episode straight away but you can go on the internet or you can you know mm. or even it, it's not so much about avoiding stuff yeah. it's the fact that once you've got home and, and watch the episode at your own pace whenever and you want to go and talk about it you you're faced by people that have already talked about it and already got all yeah. the juicy stuff out of the system mm. and and there's a there's a fear of missing out now which you never had before yeah. mm. And it, while we're being completely frank about all this, yes, publishing our talking points is publishing our talking points is an awkward situation at the moment because I, I almost feel like like out of necessity they kind of have to happen a little bit too late. Yeah, and when when you know when when we're comparing it to last year when everything was just laid out straight away we got everything kind of out there and then we started organizing thoughts into reviews like we didn't have the talking points the talking points are there as to plug a gap as what we thought yeah. was going to be a necessity yeah and as as it turns out they 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 come along a little bit too late uh, the review even seems like it's kind of that's the arriving thing. two days late, even though we get them done as quickly as possible. Traditional traditional broadcast means that everyone get just gets everything dumped on them at once, and from that point on, everyone's on the same level. Whereas at the moment, ev- yeah. it's just it's staggered. Everyone's experience is staggered. I think it's hurt. 
the, someone, I was moaning a bit about it on Twitter earlier, as you, many of you will have probably seen. Um, and uh, someone, someone I know, uh, Dan of the Wibble, replied saying, "It's fine. It's you know, it's it's not a problem. It's the same as um, as US versus UK." Uh, screenings of things uh, it's slightly staggered it's not a massive problem but I think it is a problem because it's hurt the community and this yeah. is you know quite a pretentious way of putting it but is the the community of Red Dwarf fans are having a worse time of it than we were four years ago and I know how ungrateful that sounds because I am happy <laughs> I'm delighted I'm ecstatic that there is new Red Dwarf and I'm grateful that UK TV have stumped up the money and the time and the effort for it put so much effort into marketing it uh, gave Doug the freedom that he's wanted because Doug yeah. has, has had nothing but praise for UK TV my only qualm with UK TV is using Red Dwarf to promote UK TV play which I completely understand but it's done it in a way that has affected the the way that the Red Dwarf community reacts and the way that the Red Dwarf community yeah. Yeah. interacts with new episodes. And you can almost understand that because, and it might I might be doing other shows a disservice here, but you pluck any other show out of the UK TV schedule on any of their channels, and there's some great shows there, but none of them I would wager would would suffer in the same way as Red Dwarf does from this kind of broadcast situation, because Red Dwarf has the sort of fan base that no other show on Dave particularly like no. I, I think fan base. It's one rooted in there where everyone was all around their web board of choice or their yeah. I think it's not. I think it's know. not just rare for UK TV. I think it's rare for TV. I think other than yeah. obviously your Doctor Who's, your Star Treks, etc. There aren't many shows that that have this. This attachment, this kind of, you know, this <laughs> you could call us baggage that co- <laughs> that comes along with a new series of something. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, this has huge advantages. I mean, they have prepackaged free advertising in various different places, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's commercially viable. You know, two, two, two of those places. Yeah, and but but you do kind of need to look after the, those people a little bit, even though we are a minority. Like the the the, the hardcore are definitely a minority. Tiny but minority. Yeah, you shouldn't. <sighs> but then the whole this like, if they'd have just done it for the first week, yeah, it would have been yeah. annoying. But you can understand it, and they have done it. Like they've done that with Zapped, and I don't think they're doing it every week with Zapped. I don't think they do it every week with some other shows. The the uh, Taskmaster and Go Eight Bit, uh, the two uh, other big re- recent um, originals on Dave, had the first episodes previewed online and not the rest. Yeah, so that is kind of what I was. In fact, I did say, didn't I? Yeah. In the G and T. Um, email group beforehand like months ago i wonder if they'll put the first episode online a week before yeah. i wouldn't have expected every episode no, the week before not at all no um, i'd also I just like to uh, uh, once the series is done we can we can look back and say okay it was an understandable thing like maybe decisions were made at a certain point doing this for series 11 is regrettable but understandable from my point of view if they yep. do this for series 12 it would be completely unforgivable I think <laughs> but 
on uh, yeah, I would like the information they've now got. I would like them to at least reconsider and kind of show their working in a way. Yeah. Like if they end up yeah. doing the same thing, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, and again, we are a tiny minority, and they shouldn't have to cater just for us. But, but who are they catering for, though? But it's yeah, like nobody cares. Yeah, like Game of Thrones fans don't want it fucking a week online ahead of a TV broadcast. They're quite happy with the morning, the morning before. Like, so fucking Game of Thrones fans can accept that. Then why do they think <laughs> the Red Dwarf fans need a fucking week? This well, is getting very cross. Pe- the the fact that people are watching it on a Friday when it goes online is is not a sign of it being a successful thing because those people would watch it on the telly on Thursday. People want to watch brand new Red Dwarf as soon yeah. as it's available. If you make it available every Thursday on TV at nine o'clock, then that is when they will watch yeah. it. <sighs> yeah. Um, I also, just people like to... you two. Shut up, Capsie. Capsie, let me speak. Shut up, Capsie. Joe. <laughs> I just wanted to. Um, the original thing you said that Dan and Vubal said, oh, it's only like you, the difference between something airing in the US and airing in the UK and there being a, a difference mm. like in the time. It's fucking not at all. Because <laughs> in it, it's not, if that example that he's giving in order for any of anyone to watch it you'd have to illegally download it Mm. ahead of broadcast whereas this is a legal way to watch it so it's it's a shit example down at the riddle (laughs) (laughs) i've quoted him completely out of context because i can't remember the context anyway any more conceded (laughs) we've uh We've bollocked on about uh, UK TV play. We've got a few things off our chest, I think. (laughs) I think that's been building up over the last four weeks to some extent. But um, regardless of that, there is the exciting fact that tomorrow is the day uh, where properly this time uh, Crisis is released. Capsi has seen the episode on UK TV play, so it's perhaps not the best place to do a preview of it because spoilers... Uh, but Joe, you saw this recorded, so you've seen it as well, but only a year ago. So yes. you know things. But can you give us a, a kind of non-spoilery pricey? Um Did you like it? I did like it. I seem to remember thinking there were some bits which people might not be very keen on. But one of those bits is in all of the, um, which is in actually in the merchandise and in the. Um, the photos that they've been releasing and stuff, which is the red Crichton, mm-hmm. um, which I thought might be, you know, people might have some issues with, uh, and also people tend to have issues with wacky Crichton and whatnot. Just the very fact that it's a Crichton episode has got people worried on G and T in the last week. I'm not, I'm not talking about today because I've not looked at the comments today after people have watched it, but in the build-up, people have yeah. gone, "Oh, Crichton episode." But I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I I didn't think it was my favourite. Um, I think I saw four of um, of eleven filmed. Uh, it wasn't my favourite, but it wasn't my least favourite either. Wasn't four of eleven a character in Twenty? <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Anyway, um, yeah, I I I mean, don't go anything is going to be that it's going to be the best episode ever because it's I don't think it's the best episode of this series but in my opinion it is not the worst either 
but obviously I'm basing that on the audience recording and not the edited final version. Mm-hmm. And I think I've only I I sort of skimmed through some comments earlier, and I think some people are saying that it is their favourite of the series, okay. and there are also people saying it's their least favourite of the series, which is entirely in keeping with with every other <laughs> with the last four or five weeks. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyone got anything to I'm, add? I'm I'm in a position. I mean, I'm I'm believe I'm writing the review for this one. Yes. I'm will say that I'm incredibly glad that every aspect of this episode exists, good or ill. <laughs> really. <laughs> well, there's cryptic. Yeah. Fine. It's gonna be yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's another fun week. Uh, yeah, and I thought this week was quite fun as well because Officer Rimmer was quite atypical in some ways. It, Officer Rimmer gave us a lot to talk about even a week on, um, yeah. which isn't the case for uh, for other episodes, and it's not a judgment on the quality of them. Uh, because you know it can be a good or bad thing that there's lots to talk about, but yeah, Officer Rimmer had a lot to talk about, and if Crisis gives us the same, then good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're expecting to see Crisis back on UK TV Play early on Friday morning. Uh, who knows? <laughs> it, it might be up in the next ten minutes. We don't know. It might be down again. Yeah. <laughs> But whatever it is that it's on, and you can watch it, and you have watched it, head over to www.ganymede.tv to join in the discussion on the thread that's already bloody there. It will be joined by some talking points on Friday night, uh, with the in-depth review coming along a few days later. Our next live Dwarfcast will be, rather predictably, next Thursday night at 10pm, and if you've missed any of tonight's show, you can listen again on Spreaker right now, or find it on www.ganymede.tv or your regular podcast feeds tomorrow. Uh, I just realised I gave the URL twice in that paragraph. That was unnecessary. Pretend I didn't do it twice. That's it for tonight. Uh, thank you to our guest Joe Sharples and to everyone who listened live, and especially those of you who joined in. I didn't read out as many comments as normal this week because we actually had things to talk about ourselves, so I didn't have to rely on you, but thanks anyway. It looks like the chat room was very active, and we appreciate that. Uh, we're all off to, off to have an after-show party in the special GNT Towers officer's lift. Uh, so until next week, Ed bye, everybody. Ed, Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>